Good morning, everyone. Welcome to Whitburn Pentecostal Church. Whether you're part of this church or visiting or you're not part of any church, uh, we just want to give you a warm welcome this morning. We hope that you enjoy this service. And I just hope that we stick with the service all the way through today. And uh, There's just uh, some interesting thoughts coming about being lost and found from Luke chapter 15. Get your Bibles ready. And uh, we just want to worship God. We want to put him on the throne, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. So let's just pray as we seek his face this morning. Or whenever you're watching this, uh, maybe later, then that's fine as well. But uh, we just want to bring God into all that we're doing today because we know that without him, we're powerless. Without him, we have no strength. We, we can't do these things on our own. We need his strength in us. So let's just pray. Father, we thank you that you are here today. Father, I just thank you that your presence is with us. And Lord, we pray that you would enable us this morning to worship you, to give you everything that's within our hearts. Lord, to lift up the name of Jesus this morning in our praise, to lift up the King of kings and the Lord of lords, because we know that he is worthy of our praise. And so, Father, we just pray, come and move amongst us today. In Jesus' name we ask. Amen. Amen. Let's praise him.
this morning that we would reach out in faith to you. Father, that you cause faith to stir up in our hearts this morning. Lord, my prayer for our church is that these wouldn't just be words that we sing, but Father, that, that it would be a reality that we live in. And Father, we pray that where faith has ebbed, Father, that you'd rekindle the fires of faith in our hearts. Lord, that you would cause us to pray with expectation. Father, maybe in those areas where we've grown weak, we've grown tired. Father, maybe we've become complacent. Father, we just pray that you would cause a fire to rise up in our hearts. Father, even today that you cause faith to rise in the hearts of your people. Father, that we might ask you for things that are impossible. Father, your word says that you're able to do immeasurably more than all we could ever ask or imagine. And Father, we just pray that you would just do the immeasurably more. Father, we pray that you would move upon this congregation today. And Lord, I just pray for those who need a healing touch in their bodies. Father, those who need to feel that power of the Holy Spirit working in their bodies to bring healing and restoration. Father, we pray that this would be a day where you pour out healing. Father, those who are struggling uh, with the, the isolation, uh, maybe those who are struggling with mental health issues. Father, we just pray that today you would bring healing. Lord, that your healing would flow like a river into every home, into every heart. And Father, we just ask that you would just demonstrate your power and your presence in this service today. Father, we just thank you for all that you're doing. And Lord, we pray that you'd help us to continue to focus on you. In Jesus' name we ask. Amen. Amen. So let's just uh, get ready to turn to God's Word. We're going to read from Luke chapter 15 in just a second or two. Um, and I just wanted to remind us, church, that midweek we have Wednesday prayer on Zoom. And it's just been a fantastic time to come together as church and uh, you know with any maybe 20 30 people uh, just connecting on, on, on zoom uh, just depending on what night it is and people's uh, things they have on but it's, it's fantastic just to see each other's faces um, and there's usually a bit of banter happens between uh, some of our more vocal members of the congregation uh, who stay in well better not say where they stay because we're online <laughs> but um, yeah you know who we're talking about but um, it's just great and I encourage us to join together and pray and really to pray with expectation and to pray maybe specific unusual prayers that we know that God will have answered. So can I encourage this church to continue to pray? Um, but just uh, we're going to turn to God's word in just a second. So uh, let's just get ready to do that. Get your Bibles open to uh, Luke chapter 15. So I just want you to turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 15. We're going to read uh, a few verses from that passage and just consider uh, really uh, this whole subject of lost and found. Our, our subject uh, over the next three Sundays is going to be lost and found. And uh, we're going to look at the three different sections of uh, Luke chapter 15 where Jesus talks about a lost sheep, a lost coin and a lost son. And today we're going to think about the lost sheep. And really the theme in the pa this, this first parable is restoration, as we'll see from the text you know, I don't know if you've ever been lost before. Um, I remember an occasion where we were going uh, down to a youth conference called Works, Words, Works and Wonders. It's easier to uh, think than it is to say. And uh, so there's uh, Derek and myself in the front seat and there was Dion and Fiona and Lindsay in the back seat. Uh, not the Lindsay from our church, a different Lindsay who stays down in England now. And we were heading down to this conference in Rochdale of all places. And we had two ways of getting there or, or two, 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 two sorts of sets of instructions. We had a map and we had a list of written instructions. And if you know uh, 
anything about guys and gals. The boys were in the front, and there was a discrepancy between the, the map and the instructions. And the boys are in the front saying the map must be right. How can the map ever be wrong? And the girls were saying, well, the, the instructions must be right. And uh, so we were in the, the front. Uh, I was driving, so I thought we're going to go with the map because the map must be right. Um, but lo and behold, the map was wrong. How can a map be wrong? But the map was wrong and the instructions were right. We ended up being lost and we had to get ourselves uh, back on track again. We managed to retrace our steps, read the instructions and get to the event. And, uh, you know, it, it's just, it was a bit of a crazy time, crazy thing. And uh, it's easy to get lost. It's easy to get, to get lost in life, really. It's easy to get lost in our faith. And, you know, today I want to just consider uh, what's happening in this, this, this chapter of Luke, uh, where Dr. Luke tells us about an incident that happened. And this, the scene is that Jesus is seated with some uh, sinners and some tax collectors. And it says that the Pharisees grumbled and complained they murmured and the word that's used there is to complain through the crowd to complain through the crowd in other words it wasn't just one person having a go at jesus they started to complain amongst themselves and uh, the, the word is always used of a, a group complaining you know when we begin to murmur god hears it god hears our murmurings especially when we murmur as a crowd and god wants to step in and he wants to do something about that murmur and he wants to speak into that you see their complaint was that jesus was sitting eating with sinners last week we thought about the table and the importance of how that our table should be open a table being a place of fellowship a place of love a place of forgiveness a place of grace a place of connection and here is Jesus connecting with these people around a table. He's eating with them, the Pharisees complaining. But I want us to just read the, the passage. And, uh, you know, this, this is us uh, thinking about the lost sheep. This is, this is the shepherd here uh, pictured on the screen. And I want us to think about maybe how we read this text. You know, this is how it looks in my Bible. If you look at this uh, picture, this is how it looks on my electronic version of my Bible. But I want us to read it in a slightly different way. And I, I, I'm thankful to Kenneth Bailey for his research in this, both linguistically and culturally. Uh, he's just a, a, an amazing scholar, and I'm grateful to his work. And, uh, you know, we can read more about that. You can read more about that. And uh, Poet and Peasant is, is the book that this uh, came from. But there's, a, there's actually a structure to the text here. And let's let's just have a read through. And this is what it says. Suppose if one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them, does he not leave the 99 in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and goes home. Then he calls his friends and neighbors together and he says, Rejoice with me, I have found my lost sheep. I tell you that in the same way there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. And I don't know if you've picked this up, but if you look at this, there's actually a pattern to the text. And in the middle of this pattern, it says, and he goes home, which is why we can say that the central theme of this parable is about restoration. He goes home. He takes the sheep home. He leaves the other 99 in the field, perhaps with another shepherd, but he takes the lost sheep home with him. And I'm just going to simplify it a little bit. I'm going to take away some of that 
And you can see the, the pattern there. One, two, three is he's talking to you. Jesus is talking to the Pharisees. He's addressing them. And he says, supposing one of you has a hundred sheep. Well, Pharisees being shepherds, I don't think so. Uh, shepherds were looked down upon in this community. And so to call a Pharisee or even remotely <laughs> allude to the fact he was a shepherd uh, was probably quite a risky strategy for Jesus. But he says, supposing one of you has uh, 99 sheep and uh, one is lost. And then we, we read about these different themes that, 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 that happen in the, the passage here. So you'll notice that lost appears at the start of, of this and it appears at the end. Found appears next and then it appears second from the end. Then joy and joy. And in the middle is this whole thing about restoration. So this is called an inversion, okay? technical term but i found it intriguing when you actually look at this and you realize that there's actually a structure to what we're reading it's not just words on a page there's actually a structure it's thought through and jesus uses every word meticulously and carefully jesus is the good shepherd we've read about that in psalm 23 when we considered psalm 23 but jesus says in the bible he says i am the good shepherd the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep John chapter 10, verse 11. And then in verse 14, he says, I am the good shepherd, I know my sheep, and my sheep know me. And the implication is that the Pharisees should be like the good shepherd. They should be looking after the flock as well. And there's a sense in which this message is a very personal message. When I read, I have read this in the past, but as I've read it and thought about it and prayed over it and meditated upon it, I realise that it's actually speaking to me as a shepherd of the church here in Whitburn, a responsibility to look after the sheep, a responsibility to go after the one which is lost. The reality is that we're all like sheep. This is what Peter says. He says, for you were like sheep going astray, but now you have returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. Talking about God, 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 25. And Peter's quoting Isaiah 53 in this passage where it says that very thing. We're all like sheep. We've all gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way and the Lord has laid on him, talking about Jesus, the iniquity of us all. But the reality is in this story that the shepherd goes after the sheep and the sheep is found by the shepherd. The, sh- the shepherd restores the sheep back into uh, not just the flock, but to the home where the shepherd would stay. There's a difference between uh, maybe different cultures here. Uh, the, the parable is referring not to a Bedouin type culture where they would travel but to a a, a village culture. So it's a a different type of setting. So the shepherd comes home with the sheep. There's joy painted there, a picture of joy painted in the story here. Not only does the shepherd have a joy in carrying the sheep home, and let me just show you uh, this picture here. This is the picture. It's a famous picture, and you'll see this picture uh, in uh, uh, ancient uh, literature, and you'll, you'll see it in the catacombs uh, where Christians have been buried. This picture of the good shepherd carrying the sheep on his shoulders. And, and all the, the kind of imagery that surrounds this, you'll notice that the shepherd has a smile on his face. And the implication is that the shepherd joyfully bears this burden. The shepherd, Jesus, comes after you. He comes after me. And when he finds us, he joyfully is willing to carry us back home. 
Maybe you have been away from church for a long time. Maybe you've been away from God for a long time. The good shepherd wants to come after you and he wants to put you on his shoulders and bring you back home, bring you back into the family. But there's also uh, an interesting picture of repentance uh, painted in this psalm. And we need to, uh, sorry, this uh, parable, I was talking about Psalm 23 earlier, in this, uh, this series of parables, and it's three uh, parables, it's like a, a play with uh, three different scenes. Uh, we're going to consider the first of those scenes. And there's something interesting about repentance, and I'm going to quote uh I'm going to quote Kenneth Bailey in Peasant and Poet. And this is what he says. For first century Judaism, repentance was a way of bringing in the kingdom. In the preaching of Jesus, repentance was a response to the kingdom already come. Jesus said that time and time again, the kingdom of God is among you. And then he says that uh, Borncombe points out that for the rabbis, repentance was a precondition for grace. It was a work by which a righteous man showed himself righteous. All this is clearly silenced by the parable of the lost sheep, where, as Borncombe observes, so little is repentance a human action preparing the way for grace that it can be placed on the same level as being found. What am I saying here? In this story, the sheep is lost and all the sheep needs to do is to allow itself to be found. And there's a link between repentance and just being found. And it's a theme which we'll uh, bring out in the other parables as we consider them over the next couple of weeks. It goes on to say, The sheep does nothing to prompt the shepherd to begin his search except to become lost. And in the parable, the shepherd finds the sheep. Then, in the conclusion to the parable, there is reported joy over one sinner who repents. Here, being found is equated with repentance. Thus, the parable of the lost sheep sets out a radically new understanding of the nature of repentance. I don't know about you, but I have thought about that over the years. And what does it actually mean to repent? And what do we need to do? And there's there's just this idea, I think, in, in some uh, maybe aspects, branches of the church, that we need to be uh, self-punishing. We need to uh, uh, put ourselves down all the time. That we need to be almost like whipping ourselves in the back to show that we're really sorry for our sins. We need to go and make amends to people, you know, Actually, making amends to people is a good idea, um, and we'll talk about that later on when we consider this. But there's just this pure and simple picture here of being found. We are lost. We are, we are the ones who were lost. Jesus is the one who has come and has found us. I don't know if you've ever considered this. What he's saying here is that uh, repentance is like a, a good work. And in some traditions, good works are things that we need to do in order to make penance. Let me just tell you something that the Bible says here. And the problem is that we can be tempted to think that the better the work, the more sincere the repentance and the greater the grace. But that's not what Scripture says. 
You see, the Bible says that where sin, where there was lots of sin, then grace was even more present. Romans chapter 5, verse 20. And the great revelation of the Reformation was that we're not saved by works, but by grace. We read that in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9. It says that we're saved by grace through faith, that not of ourselves. It's not about good works so that we can boast in them, but it's about the work of God. It's a work of God in our hearts. It's all about his grace. It's all about the good shepherd coming to reach us. There's this idea in the world today, and it's an old idea, that we need to do good things in order to be saved, that we need to do good things in order to get into heaven. It's almost like you have this scale, and on one side is the good things that we've done, and the other side is the bad things that we've done, and and if the good things outweigh the bad things, then we're, we're okay. We're going to get into heaven. That's not the case. The Bible says that we're saved by God's grace. It's an act of faith. It's just a case of accepting the grace of God. It's not something that we can work for. It's not something that we can boast about. It's simply about accepting his grace. When we get lost down in Rochdale, we had to follow the instructions. It was only when we followed the instructions that we got to our destination. Let me tell you, the Bible is very clear. It says that we're saved by grace. All we have to do is accept God into our lives. That goes for people who have never made a decision to become a Christian. It goes for people who are Christians that we need to remember that we're so dependent on his grace. We get so fixated by having to do this and do that and do a good job with this and a good job with that, but it's actually all about his grace. And I thought about this, and I thought perhaps the application here is for those who lost outside the church. I think it's a message for those who are outside the church. You see, there's a perception amongst people today that I'm not good enough to be in church. I'm not good enough to go to church. And I I understand this, how people can feel that they don't measure up. I have felt that way so often in life that I don't measure up. And that happens when we compare ourselves to other people. But we've not to compare ourselves to others. The church is full of good people and I'm not a good person. So therefore, I can't go to church. The reality is that the church isn't full of good people. The church is full of sinners who've been saved and who are now called saints and who are on a journey endeavoring to be like Jesus and to do the right thing. And we're all at different stages on that journey. The reality is that none of us are good enough. Not a single one of us. And yet Jesus came in the form of a baby into this world to grow into a man and to die on a cross for our sins. He came that we might be saved from our sins. And in this parable, in this parable of the lost sheep, and you can see the sheep there, all it has done is get lost. And for many people in our society today, all they have done is got lost. They maybe never intended to get lost. They maybe just got mixed up along the way. They made some bad decisions and they got lost. 
And Jesus is coming to find the people who are lost. He's coming to find you. He's coming to find the people in your family. He's coming to find the people in your school, in your workplace, in your community. He's coming to find those who are lost. His mission hasn't changed. And all I would say to you is if you've never made that decision to become a Christian, all you need to do is allow Jesus to find you and say, here I am. Save me. I'm a sinner. I also think about Christians as well. Maybe Christians who are lost outside the church. You know, there's a very real danger that we get lost outside the church. And sometimes Christians who have got lost outside the church have found themselves very isolated for whatever reason. And they feel that they are lost in their own particular wilderness. Think about the effects of isolation during lockdown. Think about the effect that that's had on our uh, physical health, emotional health, all these types of things. We've heard some horrendous stories about what people have been enduring during lockdown. Imagine a Christian disconnected, isolated from the church, isolated from the family of God. They're either disconnected, disgruntled, or disinterested. It's easy to be disconnected with others, our spiritual family. And some people say to me, and I've heard it said so often, I don't need to go to church to be a Christian. Well, to some extent that's true, but I don't think it's the full picture. Because in every analogy we read about the church, it's described as a family, a body, a community, a fellowship. There is a connectedness, there is a joining together. There is something that joins us together. So to be disconnected as a Christian, you're missing out. You're missing out on what God has for you. We can be disconnected, but we can also be disgruntled. And there's a chance that you, if you've been in church long enough, you'll become disgruntled. Somebody will say something, somebody will do something, and you will become disgruntled, particularly if you allow yourself to take offense at something that's done or said or not done or not said. There's a chance that you could be disgruntled today. There's something not right. And as I talked about last week, when we come to the table, we need to make sure that our hearts are right. But then the last person is disinterested, disconnected, disgruntled or disinterested and there's a sense in which I would rather associate with people who are disconnected or disgruntled than those who are disinterested because those who are disinterested are apathetic they just don't care and if you don't care you really have found your sense of worth and self-belonging somewhere else the church has become irrelevant to you but the reality is that life changes and circumstances change. And sometimes we're forced to look at that disinterest and rethink where we are. Disconnected, disgruntled, or disinterested. And then I think about those who've wandered away from the flock. Let me just say something, church, really, really clearly. Every time a person leaves church, Every time a person leaves this church or any church, it's very personal. 
people will say, oh, it's not personal, it's nothing that you've done, all these types of things. But when, when a sheep leaves the flock, it's very personal because as shepherds, we care for the sheep. We might not always do that right, we might make mistakes, but the reality is that we care for the sheep. And when a sheep leaves the church, when a person leaves a church, it is always personal. You see, the reality is in church life, it's not always family fortunes. Sometimes it's family feuds. Sometimes it's family fallouts because we are a family. And fellowship, if you remember, I've used this word uh, quite a, a number of times, fellowship really means intimate partnership. And when we leave a church, we have come out of that fellowship, we have come out of partnership, we have stopped working together, we've stopped trying to achieve our mission, our goals, our aims together. And then there's those who wander off into other fields. The week before last, I was out for a prayer walk in the rain and I noticed as I was walking along the road, I was actually going from Longridge all the way around Bent, Stonyburn, back up again. I was, I was on a, a bit of a, a prayer walk. I needed that time with God just to, to, to really get his perspective on some things. And I was passing by a field and I actually stopped. People would have thought I was crazy. I was talking to the sheep. I was saying, you're on the wrong side of the fence. You need to get yourself back over the fence. If somebody had seen me, they really would have thought I was crazy talking to the sheep. But then I feel like I'm crazy talking to the sheep anyway. <laughs> so it's really it really doesn't matter. But I think about these days, especially with church online, there are so many options that people can tune into. And by the way, I am not I don't think of myself as a world class speaker, but you can tune in to world class preachers today. You can be part of any church. But let me just tell you one thing. You can tune into another church, but it's in the local family, the local church, that you find your accountability. And that's so, so important. We can hear teaching from all sorts of places. And I read books. I referred to one by Kenneth Bailey at the start of this message, uh, Poet and Peasant. Great book. You should get a hold of it. There's some wonderful, wonderful insights culturally and linguistically in that book. But we can wander away from the church. Christians, people who were Christians and have wandered away. We can wander away from the Good Shepherd and not be in relationship. We become self-sufficient. I'm doing okay, thanks. I don't need God in my life. And that's fine when you've got the strength and the health, when you're independent. I call it the Sinatra syndrome. I did it my way. But the day comes when we don't have the health and we don't have the strength and we don't have the independence and we need others around us. The day when we're not fine. The day when spiritually we're not fine. We know there's something wrong and we're disconnected. Can I just say, God is looking for you today. God is looking for you. And God is wanting you to be found. And Jesus finishes this parable by talking about the joy in heaven when one sinner repents. One sinner. One sinner. There's joy in heaven when one sinner repents. Repentance, and we've talked about this last week. Jamie talked about it the week before. It's about changing our mind. It's about turning around. It's about changing our thinking. 
And we're going to talk about that over the next couple of weeks as well, this whole theme of repentance. Can I just encourage you to stop running from God? Maybe you need to stop running from another person in church, in your family. Stop running away. Be found. Allow God to find you. And allow God to restore you to the house. The shepherd took the sheep back to the flock. Not back to the flock, back to the house. The flock were left out in the field, the 99, but the shepherd brought the sheep back in. And there was a celebration. He said, I found my lost sheep. It's so exciting. Let's come and celebrate together. And so it is when lost people are found by Jesus, when lost people get reconnected with the church. So I just want to encourage us and challenge us with these thoughts. I want to pray God's blessing in you. So just let us bow our heads and and, uh, in a little second we're going to pray. And uh, we're just going to ask God into this moment. Father, we pray that you'd help us, those who are lost, to be found. Father, that you'd help us uh, just to, to surrender to you and to allow ourselves to be found by you. Father, we don't want to be a lost sheep anymore. We want to be found. We want to be in our place. We want to be alongside the flock. We want to be where you plan us to be. And so, Father, we just pray, strengthen us to do that in Jesus' name. And Father, I just pray your blessing over every family in this church, every family tuned in today. Father, those who are maybe part of another church or don't go to church at all, Lord, we just pray that you would move in every family, in every household today, in Jesus' name. And maybe you've never made a decision to invite Jesus into your life. It's it's just, you know, there's a sense in which there's a battle to do that, but there's a sense in which it's a simple thing to do. I did it when I was six years old. I remember I just got out of my bed, one night, a uh, Sunday night, I was six years old, knelt down by my bedside and asked Jesus to come into my life to forgive me for my sin and to help me to live the way he wanted to. And I remember clearly that moment that night. And so I encourage you to do the same. Let's just say a little prayer. And uh, you repeat this prayer after me. or Say it out loud or, or in, in, into yourself, whatever uh, is, is right for you. And then let us know that you've prayed that prayer and, you know, uh, send us a message through uh, Facebook or uh, go over to our website and uh, whitburnpentecostal.com, drop us an email through that and we'd love to, to get in touch with you and to send you out some information. So let's just pray. Dear God, I recognize that I'm lost and I want to be found. Please come into my life. Forgive me for my sin Forgive me for being selfish. Forgive me for looking for my own way. Come in to my life and help me to be who you want me to be. In Jesus' name, amen. And if you've prayed that prayer today, then let us know and we want to just get in touch with you and help and encourage you. So the Lord bless you and the Lord keep you. And I just... Pray that you have a great week this week and that you know the favour of God upon your life and may God be glorified in your life. And just before I go, I want to remind you about prayer on Wednesday night. I I want to encourage you to be there uh, at our Zoom prayer meeting. The the emails come out and the links are on that and uh, it's just a fantastic time. So I encourage you to to really connect in there with, with the prayer time that we're having I'd love it if we had so many people there that we had to split up into separate rooms to pray. So, Lord bless you and have a fantastic week. Amen.